0: Tonight we're looking at a new beginning for relationships. And um, right up, let me say, the first instance, we're not looking at starting new relationships. If you're already in one, you know, uh, that's what eHarmony is for, finding new relationships. Our new beginnings are really looking at what what it means in a relationship if you've, you know, if you've acquired some baggage uh, along the way. Maybe your relationship is starting to look a bit like, you know, the um, luggage terminal at an international airport arrivals, the uh, where there's so much baggage on it. You're carrying, you're drowning under the weight of baggage in this relationship, and you just want to reboot, restart, have a fresh start in your relationships. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. And uh, the text we're going to study is from Luke 7, which I have to confess is increasingly one of my favorite stories about Jesus and uh, I just think the more this will be about the third or fourth time in the last five years I've preached this and every time I study it and think about it I just see more and more uh, profundity here and uh, an amazingness not that that's a great English word but there we go so this is the story when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Uh, Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, if you want to a new beginning in a relationship that has acquired a whole bunch of baggage, what's the one thing that is the key to a fresh start and a new beginning in that relationship. Forgiveness. Yep. That's it. You can't actually move forward. You can't restart your relationship unless you live uh, in, a, in a way of forgiveness. And so from this text, uh, we're going to look at five things about forgiveness that we find here that are life-changing and relationship-changing. So let's have a think about them. First thing is, First thing about uh, forgiveness is uh, forgiveness needs to be based on reality, okay? You think, what's such a big deal about that? Well, listen, most of us don't like reality very much, do we? Honestly, we don't. We like to to see the reality of other people's stuff-ups, but we don't really like to see our own. And so we like to hide, we like to minimize, we like to pretend things aren't that bad. For there to be forgiveness in a relationship, both parties actually need to understand the way the world really is and own it, face it, not pretend. Look at this woman, right? I mean, there was, there was no pretending for her, was there? I mean, her reality, the truth of who she was and what she was, was well known to everyone in the town. The Bible euphemistically says uh, she was a woman who lived a sinful life. Probably means she was in the sex industry. So this is a woman whose brokenness and whose sin, whose shame and disgrace and social exclusion and isolation was well known to everyone. And there was no hiding it. And she didn't try to hide it. She didn't pretend. In fact, uh, everybody knew. And it was a scandal that she came in. And it was a scandal that she touched Jesus. And she touched his feet. In fact, they said, you know, well, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him. And what kind of a woman she is. She is a sinner. <laughs> she knew she was a sinner, right? Right? Like her whole life reminded her every day that she was a sinner. Why this is so important is until we face the reality of our sin, we can't ask for forgiveness. And actually, until we face the reality of someone else's sin, any forgiveness we offer. Runs the risk of being trite and shallow and superficial if we don't see it for what it is There's also a real danger in life which which the psychologists uh, Call uh, splitting. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought about this and Splitting is a way of dealing with uncomfortable bits of reality and here's what splitting means, right? Splitting means this here's here's a very unhappy person Here's another very unhappy person, and man, they're, they're having a good old fight, and life's miserable. And Splitting says this um, Splitting says, uh, This person is all good, and this person is all bad, or mad, or sad. And we often do this in, in relationships, don't we? Or in life, we experience ourselves, often in conflict, um, when there's baggage. We say we we can only see and experience that we're all good. We're we're right. There's no. It's we, we contributed nothing to this. They're all bad, and we demonize the other person, and we we experience them as all bad. Now, it can actually work in the obverse. You can do it where people get into the cycle where they they experience themselves as all bad. So whenever there's any conflict, it's always their fault. Oh, what have I done? It's all my fault, and, and everybody else is all good. You know, well, it's it can't be your fault. This is kind of the battered wife syndrome. That, you know, it's, I'm, I'm always trying to appease everybody else. It's anything that goes wrong, it's all my fault. You know, oh, it's, you know, tsunami in Asia. Well, what have I done to deserve you know to cause that? That's the sort of extreme version of this, right? Uh, Splitting, now let me ask you a question, Um, do you think anyone here is all good or all bad? Do you think anyone in the world is all good or all bad? No. I've I've known Margot since 1991, it's 25 years, she's going to be 26 years this year, we've been married 23 years. And I have to confess, and I know this will come as a great surprise to many of you, uh, there has never been a conflict in our marriage in which I have not contributed my own junk and sin. (laughs) I've never been totally innocent in any conflict in 23 years. I have to confess. Now, you know, I wouldn't admit it at the time, obviously, you know, you Particularly in the earlier years, where I was young and immature, but you know, now I just yeah, man, I've, I'm, and, it, and in my and in every church I've been part of, every organization I've ever been part of, whenever there's been ever been any conflict, man, we all bring our junk, we all participate, we all contribute to this, right? And, and actual forgiveness requires embracing the reality, experiencing it, the good and the bad and the ugly in it, in ourselves. And in others. Uh, Sometimes, seeing the sin in others is too painful for us. So we pretend it's not that bad. And then what we offer is really cheap forgiveness. It's really just covering over. You see this often with, uh, you know kids whose parents have let them down very deeply, or spouses who've been let down very deeply by their spouses, you say, you, you, you don't see the full extent of the evil in the other. And because you can't face that, because it's too painful, it actually also means you never really forgive them. Uh, you might think, well, what does that look like? Uh, huh. it, took me, it took me very many years to see for example, in my family, that my mum contributed a great deal. Like, she, she profoundly failed me at various points in my life to provide a safe environment for me. And took me well into my 30s to actually face the extent to which she had really failed me. Now, the beauty of that is, once you face that reality, I could forgive her and actually could move forward. But you've got to face it. Uh, and it can be incredibly hard to do that. But that's, the, that's, that's what we see in this passage. Jesus, the Pharisees, the woman herself, they know what's really going on. First thing is reality. Second thing is, um, true forgiveness requires enormous vulnerability, doesn't it? I mean, imagine this woman. She's... Uh, got a lifetime of shame and disgrace and contempt. And she walks into a dinner party with the Pharisee, like the religious hierarchy of the day. And she walks into the dinner party with Jesus. She's heard about Jesus. His fame has gone before him. She knows he's a great teacher. He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He's claiming to be God. And and she comes in and she takes this extraordinary risk of... Uh, of making what John Gottman, who's a great family therapist, calls uh, a bid for connection. This is what forgiveness is. Asking for forgiveness is a bid for connection. She comes in and wants to connect with Jesus because somehow she just knows in him lies her her healing and her salvation and her forgiveness. Uh, Now imagine what it would have been like for her if she'd gone and stood behind Jesus and started weeping and anointing his feet. And imagine if he'd looked up at her, And what she'd seen in his eyes was the same contempt or the same lust that she'd seen in every other guy's eyes for her whole adult life. Because that's all she'd experienced in her life, contempt and lust. And so she runs that risk. She says, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. To go to Jesus and try to connect with him required enormous vulnerability, right? (laughs) Um, Now. In my culture of origin, and I think there's something just masculine about it anyway, we hate vulnerability. Like as a white African, when the majority of the population are trying to kill you and you're trying to oppress them and uh, rule them, uh, vulnerability is not a virtue, right? You don't show weakness. You grow up self-reliant and independent and no one's gonna come and rescue you and life is tough. Makes it very hard for me and for lots of people to actually ask for forgiveness, to admit when you've messed up. So it's, a vulnerability is very uncomfortable. It's very easy to like vulnerability in the past. Oh, well, you know, I was vulnerable then. But actually, in the moment, to be exposed. But you can't get forgiveness unless you're willing to walk the road of vulnerability and ask for it. Because you can't get forgiveness unless you're willing to let the other person see and acknowledge the reality of your sin and say, yep, I'm making this bid for connection. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to reject me? Are you going to accept me? You see, we, we can't demand forgiveness. We can't control forgiveness. We can only ask for it. And then all the power is in the other person's hands. Wow. Jesus could have heaped scorn and shame on this woman, like everyone wanted him to do. She ran that risk uh, with great vulnerability. The third thing, which is quite amazing, is that uh, forgiveness requires love. So uh, forgiveness comes from love, Let's think about that for a moment. Uh, the first thing to do to understand this is to realize often in our culture we, get, we mistake love for desire, right? We've talked a bit about this over the last year or so. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, I might say to you, I love chocolate, okay? I mean, who doesn't, right? Um, but what I'm really saying is I really desire chocolate. I want to eat it. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Travel, defines love as willing and doing the good for the other, like to will and to do the good of the other. Now, I have no will or desire to do what is best for chocolate. I just want to eat it. I want to consume it. That's desire. In our culture, when we, talk about love, when we talk about love, what often we mean is desire. So we talk about, someone, I'm really in love with so-and-so. What you mean is you really desire to have them as your partner. You want their love. You want to consume them, right, and benefit from them. Love actually is to will and to do the good of the other. Now, why is forgiveness an act of love? How does forgiveness flow out of love? Well, uh, What's the most important thing about us as human beings? What, what gives our lives meaning and purpose and makes it all worthwhile? Is it our stuff, our things, our harbor views, our European cars, our academic success, our vocations? Is it our things? No. What is it? what's that it's it's relationships right it's people it's relationships that make that, that are the core of who we are our humanity is found in our relationships right what does forgiveness do forgiveness is a profound act of love because forgiveness opens the door to a restored relationship without forgiveness there can be no restoration of relationship And until there's restoration of relationship, your humanity is slightly diminished. So, giving forgiveness is an act of profound love. But here's the really neat thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from love, but forgiveness does something else, which is quite remarkable. Forgiveness actually creates love, doesn't it? Forgiveness creates love in this relationship. Uh, verse 47, which I think is one of the most spiritually profound verses uh, in the Scriptures. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Hmm. She has great love for Jesus. Why? Because her experience, she's experienced great forgiveness. That's what happens. It's what happens. I mean, that's the whole point of this little story. Um, Jesus says, uh, when he's illustrating this to Simon the Pharisee, he says, you know, one guy owes the money lender an enormous amount of money, the other owes him just a tenth of that, neither has the money to pay him back. He forgives the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So... Uh, how does our love for Jesus get created in our hearts? When we understand that he's forgiven us. Right? I, I don't think this woman had any problem loving Jesus because she knew. She knew her sin. She knew what, what extraordinary forgiveness Jesus offered her. I reckon uh, a lot of the time us, those of us in, you know, the inner west of Sydney, living in Roselle and Balmain and this part of the world, uh, we don't really realize that we've been forgiven much. In fact, if we're brutally honest, we sometimes think we're doing God a bit of a favor, turning up a church and talking to Him and, you know, like, it's kind of He owes us, right? We're pretty good. He owes us a bit, don't you think? You know? (laughs) Maybe it's just me. (laughs) And we lose sight of you know, how much we've been forgiven. And then we wonder why we struggle to love Jesus. Well, because we're kidding ourselves that we don't really need forgiveness and we're basically okay. Because on the surface, we are. Most of us are pretty highly functional, even looking out in this, you know, I know you all here. And you know, most of us are pretty good. I'm not seeing any... Oh, I don't know, maybe you've got hidden lives. I don't see any junkies. I don't see any sex workers. I don't see any slave traders. I don't see any pedophiles here right now or recovering members, people with that in your past necessarily. So we're kind of middle class and we got most of our stuff together. But do we know how much we've really been forgiven? <laughs> uh, forgiveness creates love. Um, it really does. It's remarkable. The th- The fourth thing we see here about forgiveness um, is uh, that forgiveness brings inclusion, social inclusion, and sort of a weaving together again of relationships, of a whole web of relationships. Now, I don't, don't know. Some of you are fairly close to that in age and stage of life. Others of us experience this vicariously. But sometimes I don't know if you ever watched groups of girls at a, at a girls' school. So Freya tells me about this, and um, you know we have my niece staying with us, and so to help her understand Australian culture, Freya made her watch, um, and we all sat down to watch this to understand and appreciate Australian teenage girl culture. Jamais, uh, uh, the Chris Riley. <laughs> You're all laughing, oh my goodness, it's terrible, it's absolutely horrible, and Freya's killing herself laughing, going, ah, that's just what girls' schools are like, ah, that's what teenage girls are like, ah. here's the thing, uh, in, a, in a group of teenage girls, or in a workplace where they emotionally function like 14-year-old girls, of which there are many such workplaces or organizations or churches, here's what happens. If you've got a group of friends or a group of people, and two of them have a falling out, uh, you're kind of forced to choose, aren't you? And if you have a falling out with the queen bee of the group, you get excluded. Suddenly you lose all your friends. Right? It's not just the broken relationship. Doesn't it just affect you and them? It affects you and all the 10 other people in your squad, right? A more adult example is my favorite sitcom, Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, which you know I, I, I do recommend from the pulpit. I think this is, no, no, I'm joking. Larry David, very, very, very funny co-creator of Seinfeld. And Larry David in Seinfeld, his character, sort of based off himself a little bit, is Costanza. So uh, he's sort of George in real life. And in the this, in this sitcom, it's Larry David sort of playing himself. If you haven't seen it, it's worth at least watching the first five seasons. Um, maybe. But, but here's the interesting thing. Larry and his wife get divorced. And there's a whole episode around, um, you know, they're going to get divorced. Now, now you've got to choose, right? Who gets which friends? And uh, Larry is... Uh, Larry is dismayed to discover that all his friends choose his wife. (laughs) Reconciliation doesn't just change the one relationship, it actually brings about a healing and a restoration and inclusion of all of them. And that's what happens for this woman. She's actually brought back in to the community and restored into a whole web of relationships, of healing and of grace. Inclusion is part of forgiveness. She performs, Jesus allows her to perform this act of extraordinary intimacy, weeping over him, anointing him, welcoming him, touching his feet. Unthinkably intimate and powerful acts that send a message to the whole community that she is now reconciled. She's now forgiven. She's now able to be part of the community. The final thing we see here about forgiveness is that forgiveness is very costly, isn't it? There is no such thing as free forgiveness. It always costs for there to be forgiveness. Think about it. Imagine for a moment, um, I really liked purchasing very expensive, rapidly depreciating assets, i.e., luxury motor cars, right? Imagine if I bought a luxury car and I loved, imagine in an alternate universe, I loved cars and I loved luxury cars uh, and I, I bought this, you know, lovely new Mercedes and, you know, you were driving your bomb and it broke down and so you came to me and you said, Mark, can I borrow your car? And because I'm the generous kind of guy I am, I said, sure, go for it, you know, borrow my car. Take my new $500,000 Mercedes out and do whatever you need to do. And you take the Mercedes out, and and you're driving around, you're doing your stuff, and guess what happens? You have an accident, and it's your fault, and you write the Merck off. And you come and you tell me. And then I discover, uh, in addition to purchasing very expensive depreciating assets, I'm also hopeless at administration. That's actually true in this world, and I haven't got it insured. Uh, so now I have an uninsured car that you 've just written off, uh, and you come to me and say, "Mark, I 'm terribly sorry. Will you please forgive me?" Now i 've got a choice. What am I going to do? I can make you pay for it. I can say, "Listen, you pay." You wrote it off, I have no insurance, you're responsible, go out, sell a kidney, though Joel told me, you only get about 15 grand for a kidney, so I mean, you've got to, you know, sell a couple of friends' kidneys, you know, I don't know, sell a kid, indenture yourself for the rest of your life, you go and find $500,000 and you pay me that money back. I can make you pay, or I can forgive you, in which case, what's it going to cost? you'll get free forgiveness, but it's going to cost me $500,000. Forgiveness always costs. Someone has to pay for it, right? Uh, relation, in relational terms, when, when I choose to forgive someone who's hurt me emotionally, I choose to not make you pay by inflicting emotional pain on you. I absorb that pain into myself, and I say, the pain that I absorb, I will not let that pain and that brokenness Uh, stop me being open to a relationship with you going forward. Now think about it. What did it cost Jesus to forgive this woman? Public shame. He took on her shame. In Jesus' day, the whole way they saw the world was that shame... And sin flowed from the shamed, sinful person to the good, pure person. So if you wanted to be a good, pure rabbi or teacher or godly person, you wanted to avoid anything that might contaminate you, right? So, for example, rabbis were never alone in the presence of a woman. And particularly, uh, you know, a sexually immoral woman, you'd have nothing to do with them as a good Jewish man. And what does Jesus do? he actually there's a there's a shame transfer he is publicly shamed and misunderstood by all the pharisees and by everyone present as he allows this woman to weep on his feet and touch his feet and you know. and if you think that's a bit much he made this claim to forgive her and out of the shame and the misunderstanding that it cost Jesus to forgive her, think about where that led to. I mean, what was the ultimate response of the Pharisees to Jesus doing stuff like this? Well, a plot to kill him. In the end, it cost him his life to offer people like her forgiveness, to endure public humiliation and shame on their behalf. That's what it costs for her to be forgiven. Now, let's think a little. Um, If you look at this path of forgiveness, uh, you realize it's not easy to do, is it? Or maybe you haven't really seen how challenging it is. Like to actually live this out. Where are you gonna get the power to do that? Where are you going to get the power to see reality the way it is, to lean into vulnerability around uh, seeking forgiveness, to, to find the love to open up the door to relationship to someone who might have hurt you deeply, to find the love that cr- and forgiveness that creates love, to include people back into a social web? And where are you going to find the power to pay the price that, that it's going to cost you to forgive others? Where's that going to come from? Well, it's gonna, let me put it this way. Do you think this woman left this house and found it a little bit easier to forgive other people around her? Don't you think her whole perspective changed? Don't you think she then was someone who could go and forgive others because she herself had been forgiven? See, that's the power. Our power, the spiritual power to forgive others comes when we know that we're forgiven by Jesus. That's where the power lies. So if you want a new beginning in your relationships, the starting point is to have a new beginning with God and to realize afresh just how much He loves you and how much He forgives you and what it costs God to forgive you. Just the way it costs Jesus, his public shame, and in the end, his life to forgive this woman. The Bible says our forgiveness from God, we're just like that woman. It cost Jesus his life to forgive you, right? He didn't just die for the woman. He died for, for you and for me and for people who deserve to be, you know, shamed and shut out from God's presence, and he died for you. So imagine what your life would be like if every morning when you woke up, The first thing you thought about was, oh my goodness, God loves me so much that he would die for me. He has forgiven me so much. He has paid this great price for me. Uh, Of course, you'd never withhold forgiveness from anyone else, would you? I mean, who are you to not pay back a little debt that might only cost you a bit of emotional turmoil when God has canceled your infinite debt at the cost of his very own life who are you to withhold forgiveness who am I to withhold forgiveness if I've really experienced it from God in the first place now having said that uh, whenever I speak on this I feel like I don't want to misrepresent how easy this is (laughs) because it's really complicated right and I don't want you to feel like if I'm struggling to forgive someone, it's because I'm not really a Christian. And I don't want to say that if you become a Christian and if you trust Jesus and you know the forgiveness of Jesus, then all your relational problems go away and it's all easy and good and it becomes easy to forgive people. I mean, it's complicated, right? The only person who's ever forgiven anyone perfectly was Jesus. A whole bunch of areas, this is difficult, right? Right? Um, you might be thinking, well, Mark, what does forgiveness look like? Say in the instance of domestic violence uh, or ongoing abuse or, hey, if you're in business and you're working and someone in your workplace regularly uh, abuses you or steals from you, what does forgiveness look like there, right? Well, here's what I would say. Forgiveness means canceling the debt, It doesn't mean lending someone more money until they've proved through a process of repentance and restoration that they can be trusted with that. So in the instance of domestic violence, I would say forgiveness is saying, I will remove myself from the relationship, find a place of safety, but then under God over time be open to a relationship with the abuser if they have repented and if the reality is that they really have changed and they've become a safe person again, forgiveness does not mean putting your, making yourself a doormat and putting yourself in harm's way, lending more money to an abuser. The other thing that makes, and again, these are, you know, this is hard, right? The other thing that makes forgiveness difficult for us is we, uh, we can't forget. God is the only one who can forgive and forget. Isaiah 43.8 says that. He doesn't remember our sin anymore. The problem that you and I have is we remember the sin. We remember the pain that people have inflicted. You can't forget it. So that means forgiveness for us is a process. And often it's a real battle. If the pain has been deep, then, then forgiveness can be a daily battle to not hold that against the person who hurt you so deeply. And it's a battle that sometimes you'll win and sometimes you won't. That's just life. But the power comes from going back to God and saying, Lord, help me know how forgiven I am. Help me know and experience your grace in my life and the lengths you went to and the price you paid for my forgiveness so that I will become a person who will offer forgiveness to others. Now, New Beginnings 2017, two questions, take-home questions, homework. First question is, uh, who in your life, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, university, family, community, who do you need to forgive? Right? Who do you need to forgive? That's the easy question. What do you think the second, more difficult question is? Whose forgiveness do you need to go and seek? Who do you need to go and find and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, right? You see, in the story, we can, we can identify with Jesus as the one who's offering forgiveness. That's, that's hard, but a whole lot more comfortable than identifying with the woman where we're asking for forgiveness. But you know what? In life, we're both, aren't we? We give forgiveness to people who've hurt us, but we also have to ask for forgiveness from people who we've hurt. So who do you need to go and ask for forgiveness from? Who have you sinned against? What sort of new beginning do you want and need in your relationships? Pray, Lord God, help us in 2017 to live lives marked by forgiveness, lives characterized by our own deep experience of grace and forgiveness from Jesus, and then our own uh, offer of forgiveness to those who sin against us, but also our own asking for forgiveness for people whom we have sinned against. I pray our church will be a community where we can really grapple with this stuff, Lord, and and figure out what it looks like and and do the work of, of pushing through and understanding this, grappling with it, fighting this fight, Lord. We ask this in your great name. Amen.